Hey, everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm Jen Newman, the host of Creating Your Own Path, and each week I share conversations with those working in various creative industries. We cover a lot of ground on this show, but the ultimate goal is to unearth the stories of others so that we can uncover and better understand our own. You can listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. You can also catch a new episode each week during the regular season at creatingyourownpath.com. We are back after a little break for the 4th of July holiday, and today's episode is a chat between yours truly and our CYOP artist resident, Malia Tong. As some of you may know, the artist residency includes several co-hosted conversations on topics that are either timely, top of mind, or both. And this is one of those chats. Malia and I both decided that we wanted to continue a conversation that we had actually had after recording our first interview that revolves around the various jobs she and I have both had since we were old enough to start working. On the show, we catch up on what we're working through in our careers right now, what previous jobs have taught us about life, work, and everything in between, and what skills we feel like we're collecting and perfecting on the job right now. I truly love having candid conversations like these, so I hope you'll enjoy it too. Let's get to the show. All right, Malia. So today's talk, I guess, our chat, whatever we're going to call it, is really just um, us chatting about things we're working on and diving into some topics that have come up as we've been talking. So welcome back to the show, I guess. Thanks. Thanks. Hi, everybody. <laughs> um, so first, let's kind of dive into some projects that we're, we're working on, kind of how we're feeling about them. Um, so I'll start if that's all right. Yeah. Uh, so for this show... And we've talked about this as we've been working like through the artist residency um, in that I'm definitely feeling like kind of knee deep in the production of everything. And I've actually had a few guests kind of fall through and then I've had other guests come come through, you know, and be able to do interviews. Um, and that's all part of it. I mean, when I was traveling um, for the show, I, you know, I took the show on the road, <laughs> literally that happened a lot because I was, I was like jumping from city to city and sometimes people couldn't record on the day that I needed to be there. So, um, it totally happens. And I have like this long list of people I want to talk with, but it definitely adds like this layer of logistics that it's outside of my control. So it makes it kind of hard, especially, um, since I have that, that old day job. And I know that you've, you know, you just had this big, like, was it the first Friday, like an art market? So you were dealing with your own logistics. Yeah. No, first Friday in Phoenix, like most cities, I think. I don't know. I guess I've never really participated in a first Friday this big, but I've also never lived in a city this big as Phoenix. Um, It's huge. It's like five streets. So like however many blocks that incorporates Uh and thousands of people. And you would think with the heat now that less people would come. But I think there was more people. This time, really? yeah, there was a lot of people, and the thing is, it goes from it used to go from six to eleven p.m., mm-hmm. um, but now it's seven to eleven p.m., which I mean accounts for the heat, but at the same time, it means like I'm packing up at eleven, eleven ten, and people are walking by that like just got there. Oh. And yeah, no, it's it's interesting, but it it's definitely one of my biggest markets, like to prep for to actually the logistics of getting everything in a truck and getting everything there because it's in the middle of downtown. So driving there, finding somewhere to park, to unload isn't necessarily the easiest. Like super, super easy. Yeah. So that was a huge thing. 
Yeah. And so are those markets pretty like lucrative, successful for you? Yeah, no, First Friday is definitely the most lucrative. Um, it's interesting because First Friday, I would say, I mean, it is like the the legit name is like Roosevelt Road, the, the main street, artist First Friday, something like that. And I mean, it is primarily art, but there are definitely some more kitschy things, you know, like, oh, like t-shirts, this, 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 which I don't know if those those vendors just set up like on blocks that are not private property or if they're actually like went through the application, commissioned, whatever, like they're like I was at least or most of us. But I sell a lot and I sell more than other markets, but it's interesting because the things that are selling are cheaper things. So things like stickers, this goes back to the, the last podcast where I was talking about having accessibility because there's like mm-hmm. kids walking next to my booth. And this is kind of the market I guess I was talking about. Yeah. Um, there are, there are like teenagers out, like out on the town, this, this. Um, so it's definitely, and people are going out like for their Friday night. So people don't necessarily want to carry like huge, fragile pieces of art. So I definitely sell like cards and stickers and things like that more. But in the end, it ends up being more lucrative one way or another. But Oh, interesting. Just yeah. because of the like, mass amount of people who are coming through. Yeah, just the sheer numbers. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's good. I mean, and I know we've also talked about like time management because that's part of it too, right? At least from my perspective um, with this show is, you know, I have this finite limited amount of time when I can work on it because again, because I, you know, most of my days are taken up with a day job and and you were kind of dealing with that too, with like producing art for the show versus first Friday versus, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, how did you, how did you feel about that? Was it like pretty kind of stressful? It's, I don't know. It's a miracle. (laughs) Um, (laughs) it's a miracle that it happened. I think it's just, I think it's a learning curve understanding like, oh, how much time is this actually going to take? Um, especially because like with the podcast, it's a different piece of art each time. Right. And Mm -hmm. sometimes like a week ahead, I I know exactly what I'm going to do. I have it planned out. I can see it all in my head. I've maybe even like sketched out the concept a bit, um, come up with colors. For some reason, that's that's probably my most time consuming thing. Um, Coming up with like, oh, I'm going to mix this watercolor with this watercolor. It's going to make this pattern. It's actually going to work. It's going to be beautiful. For some reason, I get really stuck on that. I'm not really sure where that comes from. Interesting. But yeah, I mean, especially because this, I'm like, oh, I don't want to repeat the same color, like every single piece, which I guess is like my go-to in my normal art. I'm like, oh, I know I like this, so I'll just do this again. Um, So it's nice because it's forcing me to use colors I would have never used before, honestly. But then it also means I sit here and like, I mean, you saw, I was talking to you and I was Uh like, I'm going to do this. This is what I'm going to do. And then next message, actually, I don't know. What do you think? Next message. It's, I threw it away. I'm starting over. So yeah, yeah, it's just a learning curve. And I think it's a learning curve, learning how to manage things like first Friday where I have, I relatively know like, oh, it's going to take me this amount of time. This is how many things I need to get ready. I, you know, I'll start this day and I know I'll be ready by the time I have to leave Friday day and I won't run out of these said things. But I think it's new learning how to do that when I have other creative projects, because usually my creative projects on the side are things like commissions. And I have like a deadline also that I kind of set myself. I mean, the the people commissioning me are always flexible about it, but it's like, oh, okay, by the 20th, I'm going to have this piece. But usually with commissions, I think I get so excited. I just kind of like pump it out right away. And then I don't really have to worry about it. 
maybe cleaning it up, but that's it. Whereas yeah. with this, it's like, I mean, I'm coming up with a new concept each time, whereas commissioning, you know, it's kind of like a collaborative concept, I guess. Sure, um, sure, like sure. They kind of give me already a bunch of details. So, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's, I'm just learning how to be a true freelancer in there. Yeah. And there's so much glory in the freelancing where you're like, I wake up whenever I want and yeah. I'll, go, I'll go on a walk, I'll drink some coffee and then I'll work. But for me, it's, I mean, it's definitely less romanticized than that. It's more like, oh, I'll wake up later than I expected, freak out, hurry up and eat, maybe not even eat and then start working and then work until the middle of the night kind of thing. But Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't want to speak for all the listeners, but I know for myself, when I was freelancing full-time, it's almost never romantic. You know what I mean? I, I can't remember not constantly either thinking about work, thinking about how I have to promote my work or doing the work, you know, like yeah. it was always, I was, I felt like I was always on. Yeah. Like there was no like turning you're working off. like 20 hour days. Like yeah. From the time and you wake up to the time you go to sleep. Yeah. And sometimes for, at least for me, it was like, because I'm, I'm constantly thinking about like, okay, what's the next thing I'm going to do? And like, what's my to-do list look like tomorrow? So I was con- in my brain, I was working, even if I was mm-hmm. sitting in front of a TV show or something, Yeah, I was never exhausting. not thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Not being able to really turn off, I think yeah. is a, a big deal. So, well, hopefully it gets a little like more systemized. Clear. I think that that's part <laughs> of, well, and like the challenge that you're face, facing with with producing for the show is that it is a new thing every week. Yeah. Um, and it's a same challenge that I, I face with this show is that I need a new content every week, right? Yeah. And luckily, like I said, I have a long list of people I want to interview, but it is it is challenging to kind of get those logistics figured out and, and make sure that I'm asking engaging questions and, you know, all of those sorts of things. Uh, so I feel ya. And... I mean, I think that that's part of the reason I wanted to try this artist residency in the first place was I wanted to see, for at least from my side, what it was like to work with an artist on yeah. a weekly basis, and um, and then on the artist side, them seeing what it's like to work with like with a client on a weekly basis on something. And I'm not. I mean, well, you you know, like I don't necessarily know what I want mm-hmm. with this. I Which really want it to nice. be. W- in well, <laughs> in some ways, right. But in others, like it, constraints are good usually. Yeah. Um, and my biggest constraint with this is time. You know, it's just like we got to, there, there's something new every week. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that's a learning curve for me too. It's like, okay, maybe I need to um, put more constraints on it. But part of it as well is like, I want this to be, I want it to be you. And like, I want it to exude your voice, you know, in terms of your visual voice, if you will. I want it to look like your work and not my idea of what your work should look like for my show. Does that make sense? Like there's a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) No, I mean, it's the thing, like when clients commission things, it's interesting because this actually happens at markets too, like at first Friday where someone will come up to me and they're like, wow, I love your art. Can you draw me a tattoo of my face? I'm like, no, no, I can't. Nothing. <laughs> That's <laughs> like, a strange request. No, I get it. Or people would be like, you know, I want to commission this. And I'm like, oh, what style do you want it in? Like minimalist, like kind of like the art you just complimented that's on the table. And they're like, no, I'm thinking realistic. And I'm like, well, I don't understand. 
Cause right. I, mean, I don't do that. Interesting. I guess maybe it's, it's weird for me because I am an artist and I would never ask an artist to do something that was mm-hmm. like, I didn't see them doing. Um, maybe it's different. Maybe it's like, Oh, I really like this person's art. So I assume if they make something in this other style, I'll also really like it. Um, oh, sure. But it's yeah, interesting. But that's not yeah. Totally how no. it works. Yeah. So I do appreciate that in this podcast, it's very much like, you're like, I have this quote mm-hmm. and I think this color looks cool. And here you go. <laughs> I mean, that's basically it. I know. Yeah, no, I like uh-huh. it. I mean, and it really does force me to be really creative, which is really yeah. nice. Cause well, it's showing because I've loved everything that you've done so far. Mm-hmm. So like, it's going well, I feel yeah. like. Um, hopefully the audience agrees. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one thing, um, it's funny, at my day job, and this is totally an aside, but it kind of ties in, uh, the company that I work for, there's about a hundred employees. So we have like a lot of office space and we just moved into this new office and it's fancy. It's very nice, but it was also very beige. You know, all the walls were like white or beige or, you know. Mm. And so they commissioned a bunch of local artists to create work. Um, Some of them are actually painting murals on the walls inside the office, Mm. which is very cool. And some of them are painting on like canvas and we're hanging it. And it's been so interesting to see the reactions of the employees because obviously there are a hundred of us. We all have very, very different tastes. Some of us understand the art world maybe better than others and like can appreciate art for art's sake versus like, oh, well, I wouldn't have it in my home, so I don't like it. Yeah. Or maybe not understanding it or maybe not, you know, not appreciating it for what it is you know, they're trying to mold it like, well, if they just did it this way, or if they just, I think it would be great if it looked like this, or, you know, they're trying to kind of like, I mean, the art's already done. Yeah. They're trying to tweak so, it in their mind to, mm-hmm, yeah. to, to be like, well, I would like it better if it was blue instead of yeah. a black background or whatever. It's surprising of when people say those kind of things. Yeah. Like and people it, will say it at my booth and I'm just like, well, I disagree, but I don't, I don't care. Cause it's done. right, like it's made, and you know, yeah, I'm not gonna like redo it in front of you right here. Yeah, at the I think market. it's. I think it's also interesting because it's not necessarily constructive, like it's not constructive feedback. It's just like exactly. Oh, well, this would be better like it. if it was this, and I'm like, oh well. Then I mean, you can do something like that. Like it's totally up to you. But right, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting to kind of uh, see. So when I said like, hopefully the listeners like it, like maybe some of them don't, but that's fine. Yeah, you know? No, I mean, there'll be a next artist resident. There was a previous one. Like, right. You know, right. I mean, yeah, hopefully. Right. That's the whole um, thing. There needs to be diversity in it. Otherwise you can't appreciate something. Like if someone right. really likes mine, they might not like the next one and that's okay. Right. Like it's totally fine. But if you're only ever exposed to one kind of art, then, then, you know, you get those people who are like, I just don't like art. And I'm like, wait, what? Like how? There's millions of different pieces or different people, let alone like billions of pieces of art. But, you know, when you're only exposed to like the classical watercolor, the classical acrylic, I guess, you know, then maybe I guess you could say I just don't like it. But right. I think I think exposure is everything, obviously. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, well, and speaking of exposure, I want to talk about um, like the topics we're covering today. Mm-hmm. It's something we 
sort of rolled into after we stopped recording on the last show. And we started talking about our past jobs and sort of how those jobs have either made us know what we don't want to do (laughs) or, or there are things that we've learned. And for me, it's always, I'm always trying to kind of take away something I can apply later, you know, um, it doesn't matter whether it's, you know, things I can take away from producing the show to uh, my day job or vice versa. But I want to talk about, I'm calling this to all the jobs we've known before. That's what I want to call it. We should write a book. Or at least a song, right? (laughs) Okay. So tell me, and I have, I have a lot of things I want to share as well, but I want to know, like, have there been past jobs in your, you know, illustrious career? <laughs> that have taught you something. Career. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't know. I don't know how long you've been working. Um, but you know, have there been things along the way that like where you've been able to actually like glean some information that you've taken with you yeah. as an artist? Yeah. I mean, obviously those past jobs are past jobs. So, you know, I kind of learned what I didn't want to do, of course. But I think my first legit job like oh I get paychecks I'm not paid under the counter by a friend or something like that a friend who owns a business um was Target to retail and I was Mm -hmm. up front so it's like the retail of retail like literally behind a guest service counter yeah to address people's problems I mean I did like it I mean I liked some of it I liked the people that I worked with but it's I don't know. I mean, it it just forced me to interact with people I don't think I would have ever interacted with because maybe preconceived notions and maybe like, oh, it's just completely different lifestyles. Like, why would I ever be hanging out with a rich 70-year-old man? Like, I wouldn't. Right. I mean, it's just we're two different worlds. So, I mean, the exposure of just having to interact with those people, having to navigate spaces that I probably wouldn't have if I didn't work in a, you know, more customer service-y retail job. I mean, like everybody goes to Target. Like you would think not everybody goes to Target, but pretty much everybody goes to Target. Yeah, Um, it's a whole thing. There's a whole fascination with Target. So I think just exposure to not only navigating spaces that I wouldn't before, but learning how to talk kindly and not just like on the surface, talk kindly to people I don't agree with. And I don't necessarily like per se so learning how to talk kindly to them but on the back end like actually like learning to let go of those judgments learning to let go like oh we're totally like on these issues we're totally split and you would think politics and things like that didn't come up but I mean they inevitably do Um, yeah but just learning how to have like genuine, authentic love for other people, regardless of how they're approaching me, regardless of if they're being kind to me, if they're speaking to me in a way which I'd like to get spoken to. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a that's a retail issue, huh? Yeah, I mean, talking to me about things that are out of my control, but like just learning how to have compassion for that situation, because at the end of the day, like I have absolutely no idea why they're this angry. I have no idea why they don't like me. I have no idea what's going on. So, I mean, there are those like cliches like, oh, you'll never know. Like, you know, you'll never walk in another another person's shoes. Um, but regardless of that, just 
just realizing how detached you need to be from those situations because you have absolutely no control over other people, over how they perceive you, how they talk to you, how they interact with you. Um, so I guess for my sake, first and foremost, and then for their sake and humanity's sake, I guess, just learning, just learning how to love people. Like, I guess in a very hippie manner, like, just, <laughs> just like, just love people, like have love for them that you can speak to them with kindness, like regardless of who they are. Um, so I think that was obviously the biggest struggle, especially, you know, it's like holiday season. It's like my 10th hour oh, yeah. of working. I've mm-hmm. interacted with hundreds and hundreds of people, but just taking a moment to like check where I am and check that I'm grateful that at some point I learned this value from somewhere or picked it up that, I mean, we talked about it on the last one, just detachment. Like, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what other people are doing. I don't need to let it affect me in that same way. Yeah. But also like having empathy, like, yeah, man, you're coming in hot. You must be having a really bad day. You know, like yeah. <laughs> you're angry. And so like something must be going on. That's, Maybe it, you're just like, having it's, a bad it's, life. It's, I don't know. Right. Right. Maybe it's, yeah. A, yeah. Maybe therapy. I don't know. <laughs> I just work in Target. I don't, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. I feel like uh, if you do work in retail or restaurants, you do end up sometimes people talk to you about the craziest things. Oh, yeah. They, they just come in and I can't tell you because I, I worked primarily retail and mm-hmm. restaurants for, through high school and college. Uh, and I heard some like people's life stories. People like to share things, (laughs) whether you're ready for it or not. Mm. So it's interesting. Your story is actually somewhat similar to my, the story I wanted to share, Mm -hmm. um, in terms of what it taught me. So, um, when I, let's see, well, I can just tell the story because it'll date exactly. It'll date myself basically. Um, so I sold cell phones at a mall and they had antennas. So that's how old I was. So nice. <laughs> that's how old I am, I guess, is what I'm saying. Let's see. It was right after I moved to Sacramento for college. So it was like 2001, maybe 2000, 2001 in there. So um, we're talking like the age of the Nokia phones and the Ericsson's. I don't know if everybody remembers those. Um, I feel like I have people who are uh, a little bit older listening. So you guys understand. I, um, it, we also activated pagers and two-way pagers. So that tells you a little something. Interestingly enough, this store, it was an, um, an AT&T authorized dealer. So not sponsored, um, by the way. But uh, it, And it was in a mall that was in an area of town that was like a lower income area of town. And so the job itself was commission-based you know, most of what we made was commission. And then there was like a base salary, not salary, but you know, hourly rate. And it was a small store. So there would only be like two of us in the store at a time. And the way we did it, because it was commission was, it's called kind of one up, one down. Yeah. Where you and your coworker take turns serving a customer. So like one customer walks in, that one's mine. And then the next one will be my coworker's customer. Um, and it, it just kind of makes it fair. Like you don't know what's going to walk in the door, whether you're going to get a big commission or a small commission or whatever, like, cause you don't know what they're looking for. They could be buying their family, their entire family yeah. cell phones, or they could just be getting um, cell phones. And again, yeah, I was going to say a faceplate because <laughs> that was when we could put faceplates on phones. Like none of these were smartphones, just so yeah. everybody's clear. We're talking Motorola flip phones here, but it was 
interesting because, and I'm, I'm calling out my old coworkers here. I have no idea if they even remember me or listen to the show, but, um, I mean, you'll find out afterwards. So, right. We'll see. But, but basically on several occasions and they were really like, they stuck in my mind on several occasions, I was working with a coworker and he was like, he, he looked up from his cell phone, right? Cause we still looked at our cell phones back then, not as much, but, and it was his turn. Like this was supposed to be his customer. And he looked up at this customer and said, oh, you go ahead and take it. And I was like, okay, like it's my job. So I just shrugged and helped the customer and I sold him cell phones. And so I got a higher commission and he was like, dang it. I knew I should have taken that one. I'm like, why? I don't understand why you didn't. And essentially he looked up and immediately judged this person based on how they looked and decided, oh, it's not worth my time because I'm, they're not going to buy anything or they're not going to buy something that's worth a larger commission. Yeah. And I was just, it's my job to serve this customer. Like, I don't know what they need, but I'm going to help them because it's my job. Right. And watching him sort of like jump to a conclusion before the customer even opened their mouths, right. Yeah. Was it, it taught me a lot. One, you have no idea what somebody needs or what they're looking for. You don't know. You don't know based on how they look or how they dress or how they walk in the room or anything. And also the similar to what you talked about was just empathy, like Mm -hmm. asking them questions, helping them through the transaction. Because if somebody comes in the store, they might just be looking, but chances are they're going to buy something or they're, they need help. Yeah. They're right? there for a um, reason. They're there for a reason. And a lot of times it, what they did just need help because this was back when like cell phone plans were a little confusing and they were charging you for all these weird things. And, um, and so even just helping people with that and answering questions probably meant they were going to come back. And because we were on commission, they were going to ask for me because I was helpful. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I don't know that experience taught me a lot about just kind of, like you said, loving people, being helpful, not judging a book by its cover. Sorry for the like cliche (laughs) phrasing there, but it's true. You you just can't, you don't know what people are going through. You don't know what they need help with. Um, And if you are in a position to help them, you should just help them. (laughs) Because if you're getting paid to help them, you should Right. Well, and also if you're just a human in the world, maybe just be kind. Right. And so I I guess I kind of promised myself that I would never do that. I would try really hard not to do that. Um, And I, you know, I've probably failed over the years, but I never wanted to do that in any kind of job, whether I was, you know, my customers have changed over the years, right? I don't Mm -hmm. sell cell phones anymore, obviously. Although I I do kind of get nostalgic for it. (laughs) I miss it. I miss um, the good old days when our cell phones actually were just for making phone calls. But, you know, whether it's for my day job, I mean, my customers at my day job are actually my coworkers a lot of the time. They are, um, you know, we, uh, I work in a communication, strategic communications department. And so we actually often are serving other departments. We're helping them create collateral or um, write press releases or, you know, whatever the case may be. And so we kind of, we treat our coworkers like clients. And so they're our customers, right? So I would never, well, I, I shouldn't say never, I would try really hard to not to judge my coworkers. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they are having a bad day and, you know, I, I sure have bad days. Um, and so it's trying to kind of lead with a little bit of empathy, no matter what, 
so that we can get the job done, you know? Mm-hmm. And then with this show and my shop and all of that, so I, I'm still technically work in retail. It's just web-based. yeah. And so it's making sure that um, I'm listening when people have issues or they want something or don't want something. Yeah. It's just kind of asking questions, listening, being empathetic, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That brings up something interesting. Actually, that was like my second point, not just to the target job, I mean, specifically, but to most jobs is that you get exposed to injustices that you might not Mm -hmm. have been exposed to, Um, especially because you're working from like the internal side. So you not only see, you know, like the day to day, like, oh, this is how people treat each other in an unjust manner, but also like, I'm going to throw so much shade at Target, just how unjust corporations are. And Target Mm -hmm. luckily is like one of the better ones, if, if I can even say that, honestly, but you see those injustices, right? It's injustice for your coworker to look up and just judge that person. Cause obviously they're, they're judging him, him, her, the customer based on something, whether that be skin tone, the way they're Mm -hmm. dressed, the way they're upholding themselves, whatever it is. And it happens in target all the time. So in target, we actually, I don't know if it's a newer thing. I mean, I was working at target maybe three years ago is when I started and I worked there not on and off, but I, I worked there for about a year and then quit and then came back for another few months. But there's there's this thing we have to do and it's not even commission-based because we were just hourly. I mean, you get props, I guess, but and maybe candy, but it wasn't, it's not like my <laughs> checks were bigger. Um, right. But you have to push credit cards on people because if you're pushing mm. these things called red cards, you're, you're basically saving Target however much you know, they're getting charged every time someone swipes a card that's not their their card. Right. Um, which I assume adds up, you know, it's expensive. They have thousands and thousands of, you know, swipes every day just in one location. Right. Um, but I mean, you could see that not only not only could I see myself starting to do it, but I could I could watch my coworkers pushing credit cards and I could watch who they would push them on and who they wouldn't push them on. And Interesting. most of the time, the people who were getting like pushed more so are people who definitely were not in a position to necessarily need a credit card. And you would, you would see that, that disadvantage really, but you would, you would mm-hmm. take the chance and, you know, I mean, it was messed up. It really is. It's yeah. so messed up that we're seeing like, Oh, this is exactly the person who maybe I shouldn't be targeting, you know? And, right. and then you just target them because at the end of the day, like it looks better on you. Like your bosses will leave you alone. Like they'll stop pushing you so hard to get credit cards. But I mean, I think that was ultimately the thing that made me quit because I was like, if I speak, if I speak this way and I'm all for justice and I talk about social inequalities, like outside of work, I can't be working in a place where that's exactly what I'm doing and exactly what I'm upholding. Um, and luckily I had that privilege where it was like, oh, I could leave this job. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I have a, I have a savings account. I have whatever I'm living with family, whatever it is, but I had the privilege to choose my job, I guess, to a certain extent. Right. But yeah, it's just, it's like, how do corporations uphold this level of injustice that, that we speak out against? And then like, how do we actively or inactively also uphold that, whether it be shopping at Target or working there or, 
promoting it. I don't know. Or not just Target, yeah. obviously. It's like all corporations at the end of the day. Well, and sometimes small businesses too, yeah. right? Like I think um, that's something that we could take as um, a personal challenge, yeah. right? In our own like one person businesses, yeah. <laughs> you know, like let's let's like really break it down to to the basics is like it's a human choice every day. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you had the choice whether or not you wanted to work there. Um, not everybody does. Like yeah. some people just have to take a job. But, you know, there are micro actions. Mm-hmm within each choice too. I think that you can, or I guess kind of mini choices, you can choose who you ask about the credit cards. You can choose who, you know, or you can just ask everybody, right. Or ask nobody. And then of course you get, you know, your bosses talk to you about it and all that, that good stuff. So I think that the same could be said at a smaller level, Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of what kind of products and packaging do you use? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, what kind of messaging do you put out there? Um, for me, who I have on my show, I want to make sure that I'm making intentional choices. So I want to, I want to make sure that people are, you know, lots of different kinds of people are represented. Whether it's different, they have different uh, jobs, or they have different backgrounds, or both. You know, um, mm-hmm. and so really making those sorts of choices on a regular basis and being intentional about that at my small level. I'm not a corporation, right? Yeah. I think all of those things are really important. Yeah. You know, for example, you talked about, you know, in our last podcast, you talked about making choices about um, price points. We've covered that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an intentional choice that you make on a regular basis so that people can afford your work, right? And I think that you seeing that when you worked for a large company may have helped you make those decisions. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think that all those little things we gather along the way, I guess part of the reason I wanted to talk about this is so many people are worried about being on the right track and making sure that all of your jobs lead to the next job and they're all very seamless and they all are like in the same vein. You know, I, I hear a lot of angst around career paths and trajectories. So like, I had a friend who had a job once and she goes, oh, that was like such a waste of time because it wasn't aligned with what I wanted to be doing. And I'm thinking, nah, nothing's a waste of time. Like even when you work for like a retail company, if you work for a Target or whatever, I mean, again, hashtag not sponsored, but like (laughs) even if you work for something that doesn't seem like it, it pertains to what you want to be doing, you're still learning stuff. Yeah, that goes into everything, like everything. Um, it's just a mindset to choose whether or not you're going to see things as downfalls or if you're going to see them as come-ups, I guess. I mean, I understand you're working in a job and you have like a very clear goal. Of, like, this is where I want to be. This is what I want to do. And I understand the perspective of thinking, you know, that it's a waste of time, um, that it's not necessarily getting you to where you want to go. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, obviously at the end of the day, you could have learned something from that job if you were open to it or that interaction on the street or that college class you took or the way your dog acted last night. I don't know. You can always take lessons from everything. So I think it is like a shift in perspective that's not necessarily nurtured in our more like social media-esque society um, where everything has to seem, you know, like one, two, three, four, five, like in a row. Like super curated. Yeah. Like yeah. we're even curating our career paths. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Way. I don't, 
I mean, at the end of the day, I think people need to relinquish control of a lot of things. Um, I'm not necessarily saying like, don't take actions and don't manifest things and just go like haywire. But I think there is a lot of things we don't necessarily have control over. Maybe I'm just saying this because I need to take this personal advice. But well, same here. Yeah. But it's just, yeah. I mean, there's there's so much in our even daily lives that we don't have control over. And I think we're always in this state where we're obsessing over the things we think we have control over that we don't. And we're not taking advantage of the things we actually do have control over. Right. And I think that's where, you know, like almost the obsession with like the perfect curated life comes from, especially, especially in the arts field, I would say. Um, obviously, I'm biased because I, I understand the arts field the most. But yeah, it's if there was a trajectory to become an artist, I definitely wouldn't be an artist because mm. nothing I've done has set me up, I guess, to become an artist. Interesting. That's an interesting way of thinking about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I had somebody ask me at my day job, a coworker. She said something like, you know, did you think you were going to be doing this? And I'm like, no. <laughs> I have an English degree, right, from yeah. Sac State. And I'm a, a brand director. I work in communications. So, you know, I'm kind of in the same field, but um, I'm working a lot with visuals now. Um, and, you know, a year and a half ago, I would have called myself a writer and I don't write that much anymore, you know, for my day job. Mm-hmm. And so, but really it's like pulling all of the things that I've done together into one career is what I'm, what I want to do. That's what interests me. And so, um, you know, I'm still kind of collecting experiences to, to figure out what, you know, what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that, you know, I think that we never really get there. Yeah, or no. not everybody does. Um, yeah, I think it's seen as a destination, and mm-hmm. it's most definitely not a destination. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that there's any ever going to be a time when I feel like I've like, all right, I made it. I'm here, <laughs> I'm here now. I did, it. I did it. Yeah. So, well, thanks for sharing your your uh, past job stories. I think it's mm-hmm. always interesting to hear what you know people we've maybe. Uh, look up to or admire or whose work we really appreciate um, kind of hearing where they've come from. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I sold cell phones. You push credit cards at Target. You know, (laughs) it's a thing and there's no shame in any of it. And we learned a lot. So I'm curious, what are, what are some skills you want to gather for the future um, sort of trajectory of your career? I mean, you're probably gathering them now, right? I mean, that's one thing I try to think about and maybe also try to not think about, like overthink about. Not (laughs) obsess over? Not obsess over and may, you know, turn into that control freak, which I'm really good at. But I'm curious, are there things that you're learning now that you like, okay, well, maybe that's going to apply someday? (laughs) I feel like a lot, whether or not I really want to learn things right now, Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's happening, especially when I get really, not lazy, but just stagnant. So my day job, I guess right now is actually, I work at a very small business, like physically and not physically, very small business. So I work um, in this shipping container park-esque thing. Mm, okay. Um, so I literally sit in a shipping container. I think it's 20 by eight. So, but it's a retail shop. So it's interesting um, gathering information, just being there. And I mean, I'm one of only a very few 
Um, I think there's two employees, three maybe. So it's interesting because I, I'm exposed to the back end of things a lot more. So I can actually see like whether that be numbers or like, oh, this is how to write this kind of invoice, like all these things. So I'm definitely trying to soak up as much as that as I can. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, for future skills, I mean, obviously it would be really nice to do something like this full time. I'm learning a lot of skills, I think, from actually making the podcast pieces and okay. not necessarily learning like the professionalism because I feel like we're really casual when we talk to each other. Yeah. But just understanding like, oh, this is time management, like we were saying earlier. Like mm-hmm. this is this is how to understand myself more and I guess the ways in which I work and how long things actually take me versus yeah. how long I assume they'll take me. That and I'm hoping, fingers crossed, probably going back to school soon. I love school, honestly. I could be studying anything and I don't think I would care much because I just like learning new things. Yeah. But I'm hoping to have a focus in graphic design. Um, I don't know if people know, but so the actual podcast pieces on my end, making them all the watercolor or drawing type things you see are done like physically by hand on paper and scanned in. But then pretty much all of the lettering, I think, is done on my iPad on Procreate, which Mm -hmm. I mean, is like a form of graphic design. So I think I think I always threw shade at that, but I think I always threw shade at it because I was bad at it. So I think learning now, um, it's actually so cool, like what you can make with a computer and what limitations that you have, I guess, in like physical mediums that you don't have on a computer, on an iPad, whatever it is. Oh, sure. So, so I'm really hoping to study graphic design. And I guess I don't I don't know if I'll like it, honestly. So I guess just studying it at least for a little while and deciding like, oh, do I actually like this? And if not, I can check it off and I can do something else. Right. But, but yeah, so that's what I'm looking forward to in this upcoming fall. I guess. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I mean, it's cool that you're getting to kind of like play around with it a little bit mm-hmm. um, on the show. I mean, I guess I hadn't really thought about that part of it. Um, I mean, I did, but you know, I don't know. You seem like you know what you're doing. So <laughs> for what it's yeah. worth, it doesn't Everybody feel like you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. So glad to see that people think I have my stuff together. Yeah. You, I don't know. I love your work, obviously, but I'm totally biased. Um, like I hired you. So of course I love your work. But uh, it's interesting. You talked about um, some of the skills that you hope to ha- kind of have them be transferable. And I'm, you know, I'm working on the same thing specifically in my day job. Uh, you know, a lot of what I'm doing is um, project management, but I'm also getting to step into some like bigger picture strategic work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, really find that I enjoy that, um, sort of thinking about the why and how we're going to tackle a problem. Um, if it's even a problem, you know what I mean? It's just, it's kind of really digging into the bigger questions behind an organization or a company. I really, really like that. And then, yeah, just continuing to have that, like what I learned at that cell phone job still comes up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, making sure that I am empathetic, empathetic, making sure that I am asking questions and not jumping to conclusions and not, you know, just being a good human. That's still something that I think I have to remind myself 
to do some days because some days I'm, I am having a bad day and I just want to kind of phone it in or whatever. And so that happens in your daily life. It happens at the day job. It happens with the podcast, you know, so just kind of continuing to hone my skills as, you know, a human (laughs) on this, on this planet. So Yeah. yeah, for sure. Well, listen, um, thank you for having this conversation. Hopefully listeners found it interesting and informational. I know I did. So yeah, no, thanks for having me. Remember friends, you can find Malia on Instagram at by Malia Co. And from there, you can find links to all of her work. You can find CYOP on Instagram at creating your own path. And you can find me sharing way too many life things, mostly plants at Jennifer E. Newman. As usual, I've got everything we mentioned today, including Malia's first CYOP interview, just in case you missed that, linked up in the show notes over at creatingyourownpath.com. And we have to give a big shout out to our technical producer this season, Ray Ortega, who you can find at Podcast Helper on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to help more people find the show, you can do so by subscribing, rating the show, and leaving a review on your favorite podcast app. You can also share episodes with the humans in your life who might need to hear these stories. As always, thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next week.